3: Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, July 26. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, immigrant rights activists demand a federal investigation into the death of a 16-year-old at a chicken plant. Then President Biden has dedicated three monuments to the legacy of Emmett Till and his mother, Mamie Till. Plus, an early intervention task force is investigating how the state can better help identify and treat disabilities at a young age. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Advocates for the rights of immigrants are calling for an investigation into the death of 16-year-old Devon Tomas Perez. The young teen died in a mechanical accident at a Hattiesburg poultry plant. He was cleaning heavy machinery, which is not allowed by state and federal law because he's a minor. The plant's owners, Marjack Poultry claimed they were unaware of the boy's real age. Lorena Carlos, Executive Director of Immigrant Alliance for Justice and Equity, says that's not an excuse.
4: First, we would like to extend our deepest condolences to the family, friends, and community that has been devastated by the death of this young man, who should have been at this time planning to go back to school, enjoying the excitement of the end of the summer, but instead, is no longer with us. 10 days ago, Durant Pérez became tangled in one of the machines at Marjac, and was killed because of the negligence of a company that has a pattern of exploitation in the meat and poultry industry in Mississippi. This pattern was exposed before the 2019 raid, okay. confirmed during investigations by departments such as and hour and EEOC, and continues to hurt our most vulnerable workers who are often seen as disposable. We have a community that is in fear today. A young teenager has died and the family and the community is terrified to speak out, to speak to government officials because of the raids, because of the threats, because of the racism that surrounds these small towns in rural Mississippi. As allies and national partners, we can and must not accept these conditions. This moment requires action. We hope that you join us in demanding a state and industry-wide multi-agency investigation into the rampant abuses and conditions in these poultry plants that have caused this tragedy.
3: Turning to those raids in 2019, multiple chicken plants in Mississippi were raided by Immigration and Customs Enforcement, the largest worksite raid in U.S. history. Many workers were taken away from their families and children, held in detention centers and later deported. Wendy Cervantes is Director of Immigration and Immigrant Families at the Center for Law and Social Policy in Washington, D.C., She says this new case of a young immigrant being killed by machinery shouldn't have happened. It's another example of exploitation and trauma towards the immigrant community.
0: Several minors were arrested in those raids as well, and all workers we spoke with reported unsafe and troubling workplace policies and conditions from long work hours with limited breaks, freezing temperatures, verbal abuse, limited protective gear, and the list goes on. In short... These are work environments that are unfit for adults, much less for minors. Four years later, it is clear that not only are workers still subject to dangerous conditions, but that employers are still not being held accountable. Dubon's tragic story is unfortunately too common, and too many kids like him are continuing to work in inappropriate settings across the country in direct violation of our child labor laws. Yet time and time again, blame is placed elsewhere. The most outrageous and appalling response is when blame is placed on the children themselves, as has been done in Duvon's case. Let me be clear. Duvon was a victim of irresponsible hiring practice, and his case demonstrates the dire need for more effective labor law enforcement. And it is also critical to remember that poverty is a major driver of child labor, and families who are forced to have their children work are often left with no other option for putting food on the table. CLASP has been advocating for policy changes to ensure that federal and state labor agencies are doing their part to protect workers, including young workers, and save lives. That is why we're calling for significant increases in civil monetary penalties for child labor violations so that fines are not just the cost of doing business, in particular for each violation that causes death or serious injury to a worker under 18 years old. A portion of civil penalties collected for these violations should be pooled into a victim's fund to support legal services and representation for victims of child labor law violations and to fund additional community supports for victims and their families. We also believe it is absolutely necessary that all companies in the employment chain be held accountable. The large corporations that sit at the helm of the employment structures that hire children must be held accountable, even if they are not the employer of record. The temporary staffing firms or third-party employers of record utilized by companies, as well as contractors and subcontractors, should all be held accountable for any violations as well. And to ensure proper enforcement of our labor laws, there must be sufficient resources for labor agencies to investigate possible violations in partnership with worker and community organizations so that workers feel empowered to come forward and report violations. Finally, it's time for policymakers to take action to comprehensively address the harms facing children who are being exploited by irresponsible employers. We applaud efforts like the new federal task force between the Departments of Labor and Health and Human Services to improve enforcement of child labor laws, but much more needs to be done at the federal and local level, including pushing back on efforts to weaken state child labor laws. The bottom line is that all children deserve protection, and we as a country have the moral and legal obligation to ensure they receive it.
3: Also voice in concerns is Nadia Marin Molina with the National Day Labor Organizing Network in California.
5: This is not the first death at this plant. OSHA and federal agencies have had to investigate multiple deaths and in injuries, which should also have been uh, prevented if this employer had abided by labor loss. As part of uh, this investigation, OSHA has issued An important step. They issued a statement of interest on Friday, which is an effort to protect immigrant workers in the face of the threats and intimidation that they have been facing. There's also uh, an investigation, which is under the Wage and Hour Division, again from the Federal Department of Labor, which is about the investigation of the violation of child labor laws, as far as we know. And that means that there can and should be additional workers who should be protected under a statement of interest from deportation as well, who should be protected from the threats and intimidation that are used so often against immigrant workers.
3: Coming up, President Biden declares several locations linked to the murder of Emmett Till as national monuments. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
1: Fix It 101 is a fun podcast with lots of home improvement information. Even if that's not your bag, all of the episodes are archived online. So if the mood strikes you or if the need motivates you, you can search your project. And yes, there is a Fix It 101 podcast for that.
3: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. President Biden has declared several locations linked to the death and legacy of Emmett Till as national monuments. Three sites in Mississippi and another in Chicago will now preserve history about the lynching of the 14-year-old. His murder helped spark the civil rights movement. Steve Benjamin is senior advisor to the president and director of the Office of Public Engagement at the White House. He speaks with our Kobe Vance about the dedications.
2: The president and vice president committed to advancing civil rights and, and racial justice. And that very much includes protecting places that help tell a more complete story of our nation's history. And This, um, this monument is, is going to be a, a key piece of, of, of the puzzle. Surrounding not only uh, Emmett Till's murder and uh, his too short-lived life, the unjust acquittal of his murderers, and, and probably as importantly the activism of his mother, Mamie Till Mo- Mobley, who courageously brought the world's attention to the brutal injustices and racism o- of the time, which served as a as a as a significant catalyst uh, for the civil rights movement. You think about 1955, 125,000 people. Attended the visitation and funeral services to mourn uh, Emmett Till and, and, and bear witness. And, and but for the leadership of, of 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 so many people who who fought for years to make sure these pra- these places were preserved, uh, and the leadership of of, of, the, of the of the president and vice president in making sure that these monuments indeed happened in both Chicago and in Mississippi, it's very easy to believe that these places would be lost to history. Uh, that the story would at some point fail to be told and and that was that would, would have been too significant a loss, so we're excited about this move forward, um helping tell the full and complete story of america and i I would say this just parenthetically it's so important that the designation of this national monument is coming at a very important moment as you watch extreme officials across this country start lying about American history, start trying to rewrite. American history, it's important for our present, but even more so for our future, that we tell a more complete story because it shows our children that not only do we come through dark times, um, but the story of overcoming and becoming better as a result of it. It teaches us resilience and compassion and empathy. So the timing uh, couldn't be
1: more important. What does the White House see as the significance of highlighting these moments in history and making sure that they're not forgotten? Uh, I know in Mississippi, most people here are probably very familiar with the story of Emmett Till, but beyond the state, how can these monuments help remind Americans as a whole and the world as a whole of what happened?
2: Yeah, you know, it's 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 so interesting because I know the people in Mississippi are so much more you know, familiar with the Southern civil rights struggle and certainly Emmett Till's murder and the leadership of, of men like Meg Avers and, and women like Fannie Lou hamer and others but but to think of the, the murder of a, of a of a child who's roots were in Mississippi but raised in Chicago and how he came back home and, and and lost his life in a racially motivated murder it's easy to understand how that story could have never ever been told but for his mother's leadership it it's an opportunity to show people of uh, the interconnectedness and the interdependence of communities all across this globe that whether something happening in in rural Mississippi, in Chicago, or in any of the other continents of the world, that we are interconnected. And that if, in fact, we tell the stories about our collective pain, or maybe our collective suffering, but more importantly, about our overcoming together, uh, the the, the courage and and, and leadership, it shows how we all can move forward together as as well. So it's not just about um, Mississippi. It's about um, a a, a more um, intimate global struggle for civil rights and racial justice that I'm very proud that our president and vice president had chosen to be at the forefront of.
1: You mentioned earlier that this is about preserving history. I know that over time, buildings can become damaged and things like that, uh, signs can become damaged. But here in Mississippi, specifically with Till's monuments, we've seen violent attacks against some of the things that have been set up already. Uh, there have been markers uh, set up on the sides of roads to identify some of the significant places that were a part of his story. What, is, what are your thoughts on potential attacks on these monuments and the dedications that y'all are doing? Uh-huh.
2: Well, the most important piece of the puzzle is obviously the significant investment being made in education here. So we'll be working to educate people, educate the public here, that hopefully leads to less of this this foolishness and, and madness that others are trying to feed by dividing us. So hopefully we can go upstream and and, and teach people about why this is important. But secondly, I believe that the um, designation of of these sites as as national monuments also comes with additional protection uh, that that not only helps with interpreting uh, the historic resources, uh, but also um, significantly accelerates uh, this type of vandalism that we hope will will, will cease and um, and, and, we hope and pray uh, that this will add some protection to these monuments.
1: What are the president's thoughts on this initiative and what it can mean for Mississippi and the rest of the nation?
2: Mississippi is a great state um, with, with wonderful people. Had some time spent with um, Congressman uh, Benny Thompson and, and, and enjoy a close and personal relationship with several of your mayors, including Mayor uh, Lumumba and, and, and Jackson. Mississippi over indexes on, on, on leadership and it has for a significant period of time. It's an opportunity to celebrate the sacrifice of so many others, and, and, and make sure, again, that we move uh, forward together as, as, as 50 states recognize this sacrifice of so many people in this community whose names will never be at lights. Um, it's, it's important uh, that um, we'll do it just as the president uh, said. We'll move forward together as a country.
3: Steve Benjamin is senior advisor to President Joe Biden. Coming up, a task force is investigating better ways to detect and treat childhood disabilities early. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
1: Hi, Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. Please join me and my colleagues for the Mississippi Arts Hour, where we have in-depth conversations with different creative Mississippians. That's the Mississippi Arts Hour, Sundays at 5 on Think Radio, or download it as a podcast.
3: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A new Mississippi law has established the Early Intervention Task Force. The goal? To better understand how the state can help in identifying and treating disabilities at a young age age. Chairing the task force is Dr. Susan Buttress. She's professor of pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. She speaks with our Lacey Alexander about their meeting this week and what this panel is searching for. This particular
6: meeting at the Capitol was set up to begin really a listening session from our task force members and from our advisors on what's going on with our early intervention services. What are the needs? What are the successes? But what are the changes that maybe need to happen? This came about because of the fact that there have been some issues that have been noticed by the federal government as they are oversighting the early intervention services that need to be changed in Mississippi. We have had some deficits that have been recognized on the evaluation. And so what we are tasked with is to look at this and see what changes perhaps need to be made and how they can be made.
4: Can you elaborate or educate us on what those deficits are specifically, if you know?
6: So some of the deficits include not having enough service providers out there to impart the services. There are several areas of our state that are just... Islands that don't have any service providers. For example, if you have a one-year-old who perhaps needs physical therapy, there might not be a physical therapist who is contracted by the early intervention services in a three-county radius where that individual might live. And so we know that there are some great services in some areas of the state, but there are some areas of the state where there are essentially no services. So what we're trying to do is level the playing field for all children, that all children get adequate services who need it. One thing that we know is that In that birth-to-five period when children's brains are growing so very rapidly and changing so very rapidly, that is the very best time to intervene on a developmental issue. Another area is that when there are service providers out there, getting that service provider paid because each one is an independent contractor has been difficult, which means that the therapist, say you have a speech pathologist out there, not only do they have to impart the service, but they also have to have their own billing service, track the billing. Um, the early intervention system is the payer of last resort, if that makes sense, so that first you bill insurance, then private insurance, then you bill Medicaid, and then if those billers will not pay or cannot pay for whatever reason then the next step is early intervention services so some of our service providers are not being paid for gosh maybe 3 months which is tough for anyone another issue is that another issue is that we have problems with referral into the program. We are serving only 1.5% of our birth to three population. When in reality, if you look at the number of children who might have developmental issues that need intervention, it is upwards of at least 10%. And in homes in which um, they're there's deep poverty, it may be even higher than that, uh, upwards of 20%. We, We know we are not serving the number of children that we need to be serving. If you don't serve the children from birth to three, what happens is when they get into the public school system after age three, then you're having deeper problems that need more intensive and perhaps longer services, longer amount of service time that has to be given.
1: Was there any part
6: in the meeting where you thought this is important, this is a big step for us? Anything big like that that touches your brain right now? Well, there were several great testimonies and then some discussion after. There were some, after all the testimony, I thought there was a good, robust conversation that happened, That uh, some back-and-forth conversation about where we need to go, what we need to look at. It's been brought up that perhaps we need a different way to employ early intervention service providers. We need to do a better job of making sure that physicians, pediatricians, family practitioners, nurse practitioners all refer into the system. There was conversation that one issue that has happened is that many, many health care providers have lost faith in the ability for their children that they refer in to get timely services. So we need to restore the faith in that, and that that really makes sure that all of our children get those needed services in a timely fashion. To have to wait for several months is not acceptable. So to, to jump in, give those services as soon as the need is recognized, and perhaps even do a better job at helping those who are at risk, those children who are, are born with a, a genetic issue that may later down the road cause some issues. Or those children who were perhaps born knowing that there was alcohol during pregnancy or another substance abuse during pregnancy puts
3: that child at higher risk for developmental or behavioral issues. Dr. Susan Buttress is Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.